1 Corinthians chapter 3. All right. I want to try and preach to you tonight about growing up. Growing up. Me and my wife was sitting at the dinner table today, and we were saying all kinds of things about up. Grow up, shut up, put up. So she was trying to come up with all kinds of titles for this message, but to no avail. We're just going to stick with growing up, all right? All right, growing up. So 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, uh, tonight we're going to try and look at a couple of things, and I I want you to know right offhand, uh, not because, well, let me just say right offhand, this is not, the message that I have for you tonight is really not intended to be a rebuke. That's not to say that you might not get one. It's just that's not my intent. My intent is really tonight to try and give you something and help you see some principles that I believe if you'll see them will really help you uh, down the road. They're not uh, deep principles. They're not, uh, it's not, uh, it's not anything I don't think that you're going to look at and go, wow. But I believe that if you'll pay attention and if you'll take these things and if I can explain them well enough, if the Lord will help me to do that, I believe you'll be able to look at things in your own life and, and be able to tell whether or not you're growing or whether maybe you've got a, in a slump or you've been stumped somewhere in your own life. Uh, I think, I, I believe with all of my heart, and I, I, I think this is true, but uh, I believe people that are genuinely saved are really not content with staying where they're at. You, you probably backslide. I say that tongue-in-cheek. Uh, you backslide. You backslide from time to time. You say, how do you know? I do. And so you get to places to where you get slumped down and you're not really all that interested in going on. But if a man's saved, I believe there's something working on the inside to where uh, a good portion of his life, there's something in the back of his mind, and women too, there's something in the back of your mind that eats at you and says, man, I sure would like to be everything that my God wants me to be. And that is, that's not going to happen without growth. You, ha- you have to grow. So let me, let me just give you a couple of things that I believe the Lord's put on my heart, and uh, we'll go eat us some nachos or something, all right? Let, let's pray before we get started. I hope you're in 1 Corinthians 3, so that's where we'll be starting tonight. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I, I pray, God, that you help me tonight, God, to be able to explain these things, Lord, as, as well as they need to be explained. I pray that you'd help me not to distract myself and pray that you'd help me, Lord, not to be distracted with anything else. But, God, Lord, pray that you'd, uh, the Word of God would have the preeminence. Lord, pray that you would, uh, Lord, be lifted up and glorified. And, God, just I pray, God, Lord, have your will and way in the hearts of your people. God, Lord, I, I pray, Lord, that tonight, God, some kind of spiritual gift would be imparted, as is said in Romans chapter 1. And, Lord, that these your people, God, would be able to get closer to you from it, Lord. We'll thank you for it. God, folks, it's not here today. Pray you watch out over them and help them. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 3. Look here in verse 1. The Bible said, uh, Paul speaking to the church at Corinth, he said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? Now, the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is, is very interesting. And we've, we've already been through this in our studies in 1 Corinthians. But let me just point out a, uh, one thing to you as we're here in 1 Corinthians 3. He starts out chapter 3 talking about carnal Christians. But in 1 Corinthians 2, which is the context of chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 2 He's really talking about a lost man. He said uh, back in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10, But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might freely, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, but the natural man. That's a lost man. That's a man without any kind of spiritual assistance from God because the Holy Spirit's not living in him. And so he says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, 
neither can he know them because they're spiritually discerned, but he that spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. If you read 1 Corinthians 1 and 1 Corinthians 2, the idea that you would get is that here you have a lost man, a natural man, and then here you have a spiritual man. And the idea that you'd get is that that's the only two options that there are. If you didn't go on to chapter 3, because that's really all that's insinuated in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he starts out talking about how it is that a man is able to receive the things of God. And he uses the illustration, you're able to receive things as far as able to communicate with each other and you're able to interact with each other because you have a spirit of man and the other party has a spirit of man. That's why you can't communicate with animals. You know, they can bark and, you know, the little kitty cat can meow, but you don't understand what's going on. It's because you've got different spirits. There's something there that can't interact. Well, the only thing that you know as a lost man from God is that there's some kind of chasm between you. And when God takes his word and reveals what that chasm is all about, it's sin, then okay, there's, there's an understanding. But then once you get saved, once you're born again, the Holy Spirit moves inside. And now there's this ability to commune with that God that you were at odds with before you trusted Christ as your Savior. I think you can understand that. I don't think that's very deep. But what you have in 1 Corinthians 2 is here's a natural man. That's a lost man. And then you've got a man who's saved, who has the Spirit of God living in him, and he's identified as a spiritual man. Well, stop at 1 Corinthians 2, and it's like, well, that's the, it, in your mind you think that's all that there is to it. But then you go on to 1 Corinthians 3, and he makes reference to this third kind of person. It's almost an anomaly. It's a, it's a strange situation, and what it is is it's a babe. That's what he says, verse uh, 1. And I, brethren, of chapter 3, I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual. Well, that's already been identified in chapter 2. But as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. And I have often taken the attitude, uh, I have often taken the attitude that, you know, when somebody trusts Christ as their Savior, they're born and they're born as a babe in Christ. And the reason that I think that I, I think is easily understood because that's just the way uh, that natural life works. But the more I look at this, I, I really am wondering about the fact of when a man gets saved, I, I, I see here in the text, for, I don't know that I can explain it very well, but I, I believe that there's a possibility that the way that the Lord looks at him is as a full-grown man, spiritually speaking. The moment he's born again, he's a full-grown man. And the thing that reverts him back to that babe sort of mentality is trying to re revert back to the way that he lived before he came to know Christ. Uh, you remember the zeal that you had the day that you trusted Christ? Now, let me pause right there and go back to what I just said. In your mind, if you have a problem with that, I can, I can see where the problem would be in your mind. You're looking at that thinking, man, that couldn't possibly be the way that it is because I know more now about God than I did when I first got saved. But do you realize that the moment that you were born, you were, there was nothing in between you and the Lord? You got born again and you was really born again in a state of innocence. There's things in your life that need to be cleaned up. There's sanctification that needs to be had, personal sanctification. Maybe you needed to quit cussing. Maybe you needed to quit cigarettes. Maybe you needed to quit drinking. All kinds of stuff that needed to change about your life. But man, it's a, it's a new start, man. And you are starting out really from a, a place, the Bible says, of completion. Ain't that what the Bible says in the book of Colossians? It says, ye are complete in him. So the moment that you trust Christ as your Savior, what it looks like to me is that as far as spiritual things are concerned, you really start out as a full-grown man. Let me ask you something. When Adam was made, was he made as a little baby or full-grown man? See, when God, when God makes a man, when you... Uh, when parents have children, they come in as little babies and they mature. But when God made the first man, he didn't make him as a little baby. He made him as a full-grown man. Adam didn't understand everything that there was to be understood. But see, now he's, 
Adam is brought into this thing. He's brought into this world, and he's got his complete, he's got everything that he needs to be able to commune with God and get the information from God that he needs to get in order to learn. That's exactly what happened to you the day that you got saved. You do not need anything else in order to commune with the Lord, in order to get the understanding that you need to get. Hold hold your place in 1 Corinthians 2, and I think maybe a verse of Scripture can make it plainer. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. This is a verse that we read often here. But I think this will fit right here. Look in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. The Bible says, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. The day that you got saved, you got everything that you will ever need in order to live a life of godliness and virtue. You got it all. The problem that you have, the problem that I have is that we still have this flesh. And that gets in the way of us submitting to that new life that's on the inside. As far as your salvation is concerned, it's complete. That's why you cannot lose your salvation. It's complete. But you still got something residing behind. And the moment that you begin to submit to that thing that's still residing, that residue, so to speak. We was messing with some residue over in the fellowship hall, and it stunk. It's horrible. Uh, Well, that's about how your flesh is. You've got a residue left over. Hey, you've got a residue from the old life that's left over. And the moment that you try to pick that stuff up and the moment that you begin to embrace that stuff, really what you're doing is you're reverting to a situation of being a babe. We would like to think, and I'm kind of chasing a little bit of a rabbit trail. I want to move on here in just a second. But we'd like to think that the way that things work in the Christian life is that you get saved. You start out as a child. And you begin to move linearly. You begin to move this way in your Christian life. And when you're moving this way, you'd like to think that you're moving up like this as far as your spiritual growth is concerned. Ain't that right? Well, hey, man, I've learned more things, and I'm getting closer to the Lord, and I'm doing more for God. I'm serving God. But you know, you know as well as I do, that your Christian life is not like this. It's more akin to something like this. Hopefully, it's like this. Hopefully, the overall trend of your life is that you are getting more spiritual. It is that you are incorporating more personal sanctification. It is that you are incorporating more service into your life, service for God, that is. But, man, you know just as well as I do, you could wake up tomorrow morning feeling like junk, And it won't take you nothing but to say, well, I'll read my Bible tonight, and then tonight will turn into Tuesday morning, and then Tuesday morning will turn into Friday afternoon. And by the time you're sitting in here next Sunday, you won't have touched your Bible all week. That's just, that's the way that this fleshly nature goes. Well, see, the thing is, is that you've got to make a daily choice on whether or not you're going to submit to that flesh or whether you're going to submit to the Holy Spirit that is living inside of you, whether you're going to pick up this new man, this new life that God's given you in Christ Jesus, or whether you're going to put, put, or whether you're going to pick up the old life that you used to live. I'm not talking about matters of salvation. What we are talking about is matters of daily life. And so what it, what it really turns out to be a lot of times, and that, that's why we I try to be real careful. I, I have no apology about looking at somebody who's living uh, a skanky life, for lack of a better term, but just living a horrible life. And I make no qualms about looking at them and saying, hey, I can't tell that you're, that you're saved. You say you're saved, but, you know, you got blue hair and you smell like dope and you look like you've been strung out all night 
on an all-night drunken binge. Don't look like to me that you're saved. And I, I preach to folks like that and treat them just like they're lost because what else can I do? I can't see their heart. All I can do is just, you can't judge a book by its cover. Well, uh, well let me save that for later because we will get into that. You see what I'm saying? But in the reality of things, in the reality of things, in the truth of things, you know, if that individual who's got blue hair and smells like dope and has been up all night drinking beer, if they at some point in their life genuinely recognized that they were a sinner and they genuinely called on God and said, Oh God, I am a sinner. I need to be saved. And they put their faith and their trust in what Jesus Christ did for them at Calvary, regardless of where they're at when I'm talking to them or when you're talking to them. If they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they're saved. It, it really is that simple. Hard to believe if you're looking at, at them on the outside, but it, it really is that simple. Well, you know, people can get to a place to where they trust Christ as their Savior and they begin to grow and then backslide. And boy, by the t- next time you see them two or three years later, you're looking at them scratching your head and saying, did they really get it? Listen, not only do they have all this stuff hanging on the outside, not only do they have, you know, gauges in their ears and bones through their nose and got one side of their head shaved off and the other side's purple. Uh, Not only is that going on, but you listen to them talking, they don't even talk like a Christian. You try and talk to them about spiritual things and you're sitting here saying, what in the world, man? Hey, this guy was a preacher at one time. So that couldn't happen. Uh, come with me on visitation. I think I told the story a while back. I went down here, visitation down here in the Hilliard and ran across a fella. Had his shirt off, was working on a porch. He, obviously, that was what he did for a living. And there was another guy working over here. And so I went up to this guy who had his shirt on. And I said, hey, I just want to invite you to church. I want to talk to you about the Lord for a second if you got it. He said, oh, yeah. He said, that guy used to be a preacher. Guy had a cigarette hanging out of his mouth, had his shirt off, and immediately came over to me, and he he said, you out here inviting folks to church? I said, sure am. I said, you want to come? He said, no. He said, I really appreciate it. He said, but I'm not interested. I said, you look at a guy like that, and you think, man, that guy's not saved. Hey, man, if he trusted Christ, he's as saved as me and you are, but it's hard to tell. Well, see, you try and talk to him about the deity of Jesus Christ. He's not going to be able to talk about that. You know what's happened? This guy's gone, and I, I'm saying this guy. Well, what I'm really talking about is this kind of a situation. He's got a situation of maturity. He reverted back to a babe. First Corinthians starts out, and Paul says, man, you guys, First Corinthians chapter 1, he says, uh, let me find it here just a second. Verse 4, he said, I thank my God always on your behalf. This is chapter 1, verse 4. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God, which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. The church at Corinth knew some things. They were enriched in all knowledge. The church at, Christ, uh, the church at <laughs> church of Christ, the church at Corinth was apparently a witnessing church. He said, you've been enriched by him in all utterance. That was the thing that Paul said, I wish you'd pray for me that God would give me utterance in Ephesians chapter 6. He's talking about sounding out the gospel. These folks were doing it. But the same people, the same people were letting all this trash go on in their church and were just letting it ride and partaking in the mess. And Paul said, boy, there's some things I'd really love to talk to you about, but I can't because you're babes. Witnessing. They know some things. They have some information. But he said, you're babes, you're babes, you're babes. Now look at what he says in verse 2. This is chapter 3, verse 2. He said, I've fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you are not able to bear it, neither yet now are you able. Now, you don't take a T-bone steak and give it to a one-month-old child. Now, of course, I say that some of you might have, and you might do that. But you don't just cut them off a piece that's about that big and stuff it in their mouth. If you do that, kind of gross, sorry, but mamas usually chew it up real fine and maybe let them suck on it or something like that. But you don't just take a a 16-ounce T-bone and just stuff it in their mouth or just give it to them and let them go to town on it. 
You do that under supervision. Why? Because they'll choke on it. What you give them is something that's easy. And it's not only just the, the, the situation of it's something that you're going to choke on, but it can't be digested. You give a kid too much stuff and the, the body's just not able to break it down and use it. But you give that baby some milk. Give them some good old cow's milk, man. Make them turn out to be a Neanderthal. Yeah, yeah man. And, but, you know, you give them that stuff, and that stuff is not only easy to take down, but when it gets into their system, it's easy to be digested. Well, that's, that's the idea that Paul's trying to get across. He said, I want to talk to you and give you some meaty things, but he said, I can't. He said, because you're carnal, you're babes, and so I've got to give you milk. Now hold your place in 1 Corinthians 3 and let's look at the cross reference to this verse in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. This is a very clear cut cross reference to Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 5. Now I told you to turn to Hebrews 5. I'm going to hold my place in Hebrews 5 and I'm going to look over in Ephesians chapter 4. Let me say a couple of things about Ephesians chapter 4. When you're talking about growing up, as far as your spirituality is concerned, when you're talking about growing up, really that could be defined out of he, uh, Ephesians chapter 4. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, he said that we henceforth be no more children. That, that word henceforth means from this point on. He said that we be no more children. See, that's an immature state. That's somebody that needs to grow up. He said that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. That's your child as far as spirituality is concerned. That's your babe. A babe is not somebody who, and listen to me, please listen to me, because this may be a rebuke to you, but it also may be a strong source of encouragement to you. It's not a justification, but hear me out. Spiritual maturity does not just lie in the fact of, well, I can explain the doctrine of the Trinity to somebody. Well, I can explain what the deity of Jesus Christ is all about, or I can explain the premillennial uh, uh, return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I can explain the pre-tribulation rapture. All that stuff, I believe, are, I, I know that those are things that you need to be able to understand and explain yourself. You need to be able to contend for the faith yourself. But Ephesians chapter 4 says the child, the child as far as spiritual things are concerned, is the individual who steps out there and they'll sit in a church and a preacher will say something and they'll say, Amen! I believe it! Yeah, I'm with you! And then when they walk out the back door and turn on the television and the news media says this, they say, Oh, well maybe that's right. Or maybe they see something on Facebook. I don't recommend you get your doctrine off of Facebook. But they see something on Facebook and they say, oh, well, maybe that's right. Preacher stands up and says, hey, you ladies ought not to be wearing yoga pants out in town, which always goes over well. I, I'm not sure why, why you know, well, anyways. Uh, but something like that gets said and, you know, people sit in church, amen, amen, preacher. And then you go to a family reunion and all the gals down there is wearing yoga pants and you look around and say, well, maybe it's not wrong after all. It's not, see, what you're dealing with is a mindset. You're dealing with somebody who has a mind that, yeah, I believe it. No, I don't believe it. Yeah, that's right. Maybe it's not right. Well, see, what that is is that spiritual immaturity. And that, that is the thing that Paul said, hey, you've got to grow up with. You've got to grow up from. Verse 14, this is Ephesians 4, 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. Every wind of doctrine. Well, it applies to doctrinal things as well, by far. And he said, by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. All right, so with that, I'm going to go over to Hebrews chapter 5. Let's look at this right quick. Now, let me refresh your memory, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse uh, 2, I believe it was. Let me go right back there very quick. And he said, he said, verse 2, I fed you with milk and not with meat. Well, Hebrews chapter 5, let me just show you where the connection is. Verse 13, he says, for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word. So we're talking about the same thing. 
So let's back up and get some context and, and figure out what Paul's trying to say in Hebrews 5, verse, uh, look at verse 12. He said, for when, the time, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. He said, there is a time that comes in your life, in your spiritual life, to where you are supposed to be able to reproduce, if you will, what you are as a Christian. And he said, but there's a problem, and the problem is that when you've come to the time, when you've come to the time where you are supposed to be at, where you are reproducing what you are as a Christian, a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, you're in the spot to where somebody has to go back and teach you the first principles of the oracles of God. Verse 13, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So you are supposed to get to a certain place in your life to where you're able to begin to start handling the the, the meaty things of God's word. Listen, let let me say this. If you are still in the place in your Christian life, if you've been saved for 10, 15, 20, 30 years, if you're in the place to where things like you hear some preacher say, well, we're going to talk about the premillennial return of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you go, oh, you have a problem. Now, if you just got saved six months ago, and a preacher stands up and says, well, we're going to talk about, you know, the Trinity. And he stands up and begins to go through all this material, and you're sitting here going, what is this? I could understand that. But if you've been saved for 15 or 20 years, and you begin to hear the meaty things of God's Word, and you don't have an appetite for it, you have no, no interest in those things. Something's not right. You say, are you saying I'm not saved? No, what I'm saying is it's very possible that you're still a babe. You need to grow up. You you need to grow up. Uh, Well, I really like, I mean, you can fill in the blank. Everybody has their personal preferences as far as preaching goes. You know, you listen to preaching all the time. And all that stuff is well and good. But sometimes you need some grit in your crawl, so to speak. You need something that's going to sit in there and something that you can chew on. Listen, you can get up in the morning and you can eat a bowl of Cheerios or eat a bowl of Fruity Pebbles or eat a bowl of Captain Crunch and Fruit Loops. And by the time, if you get up at about 7 o'clock and you do that, by the time you get to 10 o'clock, if you've been working or moving around at all, that is gone. Or you could get up in the morning, or if your wife was a Proverbs 31 woman, she'd get up. And make you some biscuits and gravy. Make you some sausage and some bacon and some grits and some grits and some more grits. And make you some scrambled eggs or make them eggs over easy. And you just eat about all you can until you're about ready to bust. And I guarantee you by the time lunchtime rolls around, you'll still be ready to work. See, you got something that you can go on. You remember when Elijah was down there at the bottom of uh, Mount Horeb. He's getting ready to go up and complain to God because Jezebel's running after him. And he goes up there and he lays down and he takes a nap. And an angel comes over there and says, hey, Elijah, wake up. It's time to eat. He said, the journey's too great for you. And he gets up and he eats. And then he goes back to sleep. And that angel comes back and wakes him up again and says, hey, come on. You need to eat. The journey's too great for you. He gets up and he eats again. And the Bible said he went on the strength of that meat for Forty days. I want to know what kind of biscuits and gravy that was. Of course, I say that, but I don't, I don't want to because I kind of like to eat biscuits and gravy. So if I had to survive on biscuits and gravy for 40 days, I'd kind of be a little upset. But you see what I'm saying? Spiritually speaking, I think you can understand what I'm saying. Well, look at this thing in verse 12. Let me move on. He said, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have one that teach you. 
the first principles of the oracles of God. These people here in Hebrews chapter 5 that he's talking to, they didn't have a hold of the basic things of Christianity. They didn't have a hold of the basic things I say of Christianity. Let me put it this way. They didn't have a hold of the basic things of God's Word. The oracles of God, the Bible said in the book of Romans, are committed to the Jew. Well, what's he talking about when he says oracles? Oracles, oral. That has to do with your mouth. He's talking about this right here. So in Hebrews 5, he said, when, when the time comes that you're supposed to be teachers, he said, you have need that somebody take this book and go back and teach you the basic things of the Word of God. You say, well, what are the basic things, Brother Nathan? Uh, well, immediately your mind goes to things like the Trinity or things like the deity of Jesus Christ. Those are basic things. Well, let me just tell you. Let me just be honest with you. The Trinity, the doctrine of the Trinity is far from basic. Uh, I'll tell you what, I'll assign you a Wednesday night and I want you to get up here and teach a class on the Trinity. Any takers? You ladies, you ladies that teach Sunday school class, I, I see two, the third is probably in the back. Uh, you ladies, y'all take a Sunday and try to explain the doctrine of the Trinity to these kids. That's a challenge. There, there's, I, I'm not saying that it's impossible. Boy, it got real quiet there. Uh, I'm not saying it's impossible. What I'm saying is it's far from basic. Well, what's he talking about the, the first principles of the oracles of God? See, we've gotten into a mindset of things along the lines of, well, John 3, 16, that's kid stuff. The Trinity, that's kid stuff. When's the last time you heard a preacher preach about the Trinity? When's the last time you heard a preacher preach a basic message about the deity of Jesus Christ or preach a message about the rapture or preach a message about the second advent? When's the last? Well, see, the reason that I believe the reason that you don't hear preachers preach about that is because there's an, there's an unspoken mindset of that's basic things. And they're not basic things. Those are very complex doctrines. Talk to me about the man of sin who is commonly called the Antichrist, which I don't like to use that term about him because it's not really biblically accurate. But anyways, you've probably heard him referred to. Talk to me about that. Oh, that's, that's a basic thing. Is it? I don't, I don't believe it is. Christ in you, the hope of glory, the fact that the Holy Ghost. See, you look at those things, you say, oh, that's kid stuff. No, no. Let me tell you what are, what I believe are the basic, the, the, he says, he said, you have need that somebody teach you again which be the first principles of the oracles of God. We said it a little bit this morning in Sunday school. You know what the overall message of the Old Testament is? Old and New Testament, as a matter of fact. You know what the overall message is? God is holy. You open up your Bible on any page in that book, especially the Old Testament, but you'll find it even in the New Testament. And you know what's screaming right at you in your face? God is holy. First John chapter 1, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. God is holy. You know what that is? That's a first principle. That's something very basic. When you got saved, when you trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, why? Why did you get saved? Well, I didn't want to go to hell. Well, why was he going to go to hell? You say, well, I was a sinner. Well, who said you was a sinner? I'll tell you where all that came from. It came from God. And God is holy. And just because you are familiar with sin and because you're okay with sin and because I'm okay with certain sins because they're common to us, there is no sin that is common to God. You say, what is that? That's a very basic principle of the Word of God. God is holy. You know what another basic principle is? If that's true, you know what another basic principle is? You are a sinner. Those are two things. You may not be able to put it in, in those words, especially that first one. God is holy. God is sinless. You may not be able to put it in those words, but I bet you the day that you got saved, that understanding was ringing loud and clear in your mind. 
God is good, but God is holy, and God is righteous, and he is not going to put up with me because I am a sinner. I'm on my way to hell. Oh, God, save my soul. I believe what it's basic. It's first principles. So you get up in a church, and you begin to look at the congregation that's there, and you say, God is holy, and God is not going to tolerate any sin whatsoever. And you start naming the sin, and people go, Well, what's all the offense for? What are you upset about? Why, why all of a sudden now are you charging the preacher with being an unkind whatever? What, that's not what it was. See, what's happening is now you've got an individual that's being ministered to with the same thing that they claim they accepted the day that they got saved. God is holy. I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. They accepted that the day that they got saved. Well, now that same idea, those same basic principles are being ministered now. And they're, uh uh-uh. Well, what happened? I'll tell you what happened. They got from this place of maturity the day they got saved, and you become a babe. You're babes in Christ. See, now you're supposed to be at the place to where I'm talking to the individual that's being preached to who is offended at a preacher saying, God is holy and you're a sinner. Well, see, you're supposed to be at the place where you can teach somebody else. You can disciple somebody else. You can help somebody else understand things about God and about his word. But see, you're busy getting offended and get your drawers in a wad because who does this preacher think he is telling me that I'm not a great guy? How come he doesn't think about me the same way that I think about me? Well, listen, I thought you had these very basic things down that God is holy and you're not. You had to get that understanding the day that you got saved. What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. You haven't grown up. Or you started to grow up and you ceased. And now you're sliding back. You are back sliding. You are going back to this place of spiritual immaturity. You're not going to die and go to hell. But if you don't stop that process, by the time it's all said and done, people are going to be looking at you saying, they're Christians? Look at what he says, verse 12. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word. Well, see, he's, I didn't finish the verse, did I? Well, see, he's unskillful. He's unskillful. This babe, he doesn't have skill. Uh, Little little baby, uh, there aren't really any babies in here. That's probably the youngest guy in here. All the babies is back in the nursery. Well, see, they don't have the dexterity that an adult has, do they? they? They don't have the motor skills that an adult has. Well, see, they don't, they're unskillful. Well, the same way as far as Christianity goes, that, that Christian who is a babe, they don't have skill in the Word. But you know how it's identified in Hebrews chapter 5? It's identified as the Word of righteousness. It's not the Word of doctrine, which that is what that is. But in this context, in this matter of spirituality and, and maturity, as far as Christianity goes, it, it's called the word of righteousness. He said he's unskillful for everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness for he is a babe. You say, well, Brother Nathan, I can, I can teach a class on the Trinity. Praise the Lord. I can teach a class on this doctrine and I can, I can recite from memory all these mysteries that are found throughout the Scripture. Praise the Lord, I hope you can. And you should. You should have those things memorized. I can quote the 12 patriarchs and the 12 apostles of the Lamb, and I can tell you this, and I... Praise the Lord, I hope you can. But what about this, these basic principles? What about this principle of, hey, God is holy? What about this principle of, I'm not? I'm a sinner. See, listen... The fact, if you are a mature Christian, 
I'm going to throw one of these blanket statements out, of, out here. And boy, this kind of stuff really rocks the boat. And sometimes this is not wise, but I believe this to be true with all my heart. If you're a mature Christian, if you are a mature Christian, when a guy stands up to preach, you're not going to have any problem with a preacher saying, you're a worm. You're not going to have any problem with that. You say, why? Because that's basic stuff. I got saved when I was seven years old, 1995. Well, see, that's basic stuff I learned in 1995, and I've had that reinforced to me often. From the Scripture, from preachers, hey, you're a worm. You're no good. You're bad. You should live right, though. God deserves it out of you. God's holy. Well, see, those are basic principles. Well, a Christian that is trying to go on with God, they're not going to sit when a preacher stands up and says, Hey, you're backslidden. You need to get right with God. Christian that, that's trying to be right with God, they're not going to sit there and say, Well, he just doesn't know who he's talking to. He doesn't know anything about my life. What that Christian's going to do is he's going to sit there in his chair and he's going to say, Oh, God, God, is that right? Am I backslidden? And what he might find out, what he might find out is he searches his heart and he tries to be honest with God. What he might find out is, Hey, that preacher's not preaching to me because... God, I've searched my heart. I can't find any place where I'm not wrong with God. That's, that's possible. Many a preacher stood up behind this pulpit and said, Hey, you all are backslid as a devil. Sit there and go, Ooh, is he talking about me? Get down on your knees in the invitation say, God, what's going on? God, is it me? Lord, if there's something there, show me. And get up, sit down. God don't deal with you about anything. You spend some time in your, in your Bible that week. God don't deal with you anything. Lord, I'm open. God, if there's something there, I'm willing to get it right. God, I'm willing to be shown. Well, what if God doesn't show you anything? Then trust the Lord with it. Maybe the preacher wasn't preaching to you. Maybe, maybe God put that on his heart for somebody else. You didn't know that you're not the only person in the church when the preacher preaches. Did you know that? Well, see, there's, there's an entire congregation. You see the concept that I'm getting? But the response that comes out of the individual who is right is not, <gasps> who does this guy think he's talking to? Because what, it, what the preacher's reemphasizing is basic principles. Now look here in verse 14. He said, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Strong meat. We're talking about growing up. Well, where is it? How is it that I grow up, Brother Nathan? Well, he said strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. That's not a babe. That's somebody that's growing up. That's somebody that's mature. And he says those people, even those, he defines them, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know what a mature Christian is doing on a daily basis? They're looking at things. They're looking at things in their life. They're looking at things in this world. They're looking at things in other people's lives, and they're discerning. They're exercising their senses. You, you fellas was over there and y'all got a whiff of whatever was in that pipe, in that, in that drain pipe. You know what that was? That was an exercise of your senses. An unpleasant one. And you know what you said? You, you made a judgment call. I made a judgment call. We said, that stinks. <laughs> it's an exercise. Well, that's what a Christian does on a daily basis. He's constantly looking at things and saying, that's not good. That's good. That's bad. That's good. That's evil. That's not evil. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was upon the face of the deep. Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God said, let there be light. There was light. God divided the light from the darkness, the darkness he called night, the, the light he called day. I got that a little bit mess, messed up there. But he said, he stepped back, and I actually missed the verse that I was trying to get to because I got it all messed up in my mind. But he said he saw the light that it was good. Genesis chapter 6, the Lord's get right before Noah's flood. He looks around, and he looks at all these people that have filled the earth. And he looks at these people, and you know what he says? He said that their imaginations, the imaginations of their heart are evil continually. You say, why do you quote those verses? Because that is God's nature. 
That's what God does. God makes judgment calls about things. He looks at things and he says, that's good. He looks at other things and he says, that's bad. That's pleasing to me. That's not pleasing to me. That's light. That's darkness. That's good. That's evil. You got saved and you are made a partaker of that divine nature. And so now you're going to live the rest of your Christian life saying, I just don't think we should be judgmental. It don't match. It doesn't fit. You want to mess yourself up, just don't be judgmental. I'm not saying that you have to be a jerk. What I am saying is you've got to exercise your senses. Why? Because that is how you grow. Look at something that's evil today and justify it. Say it's good. We'll see you next week. Because what's going to happen next week is you're going to get something else thrown up at you. Your flesh is going to see something else. The devil's going to see the decision that you made about this thing back here that you justified. And let's look at it next week. You justify cigarettes today. Well, let's see what you justify in a month. In a month or in a year or in five years, it might be marijuana. Well, after that, then it's going to be cocaine. Well, then after that, it's going to be heroin. We justify, we justify fornication. I'm talking about a country. We justify fornication. Give no-fault divorces. And then we come up to a place in the 90s to where we say, well, what two consenting adults do in private is their business, talking about homosexuality. And then it comes up, and then we say, well, hey, it's, their constitutional right for two men to be in love with each other and to be married if that's what they want to do. And the same thing for two ladies. So the Supreme Court rules that, hey, it's okay. Well, what are we going to justify in 20 years from now? You've already got child trafficking going on right underneath your nose. A lot of that stuff is taking place right down in Disney World. Post that all, all over the place. I'll hold, out, I'll hold out here for just a second, and you can take a video of me and post it on TikTok if you want. It's taking place down in Disney World. Picking up them little babies and sending them off all over the place. Well, see, they're already justifying it. It's not out, it's not out in the open. But there's congressmen and senators, I guarantee you, Big executive men, this Jeffrey Epstein stuff, all that stuff is being justified already in the minds and hearts of the American people. What's going to take place in 20 years? You say, how do we get there, Brother Nathan? You get there by looking at something that's evil and saying, it's all right. That stuff started back. It didn't start with homosexuality. It started with no-fault divorces. It started with two young people fornicating in the backseat of a Chevrolet and your mom and your daddy not wearing your rear end out about it and saying, that is a disgrace. You say, well, Brother Nathan, I've you know, got bad things in my history. Thank God for the blood of Jesus Christ. Thank God you've got your life together. Thank God you're sitting in church. But that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is looking at something that's evil and justifying it. You're not, you are not, you are not going on with God so long as you look at things that are bad and say, it's okay. You're not going to mature as a Christian. Brother Nathan, this is a hard church to attend. I know things begin to build up as far as attendance goes, and then it's done that for the last 10, 12 years. You say, what is it? I guess people are just not willing to bear up under the pressure of a group of people that are willing to look at things that are wrong and say, that's wrong. Amen. That doesn't make us, you know, cream of the crop. All, all that is, I just want to do it if that's what the way it's supposed to be. Amen. So, well, I just don't think that I can go to a church like this. Well, man, I really hate that. I, I, wish, I wish folks could. I wish everybody in Charlton County would come. I really do. I wish we had to build a building that'd seat a million people. I, I really do. 
little, run a little rabbit trail right there. But you say, why, why, why is that not taking place? All these folks in Charlton County, and they, oh, yeah, I'm saved. I believe a lot of them are. Well, why, why when they sit under Bible preaching, they sit under a, a fellow that's willing to testify and say this specific thing is wrong and this specific thing is right? Why is it that the church begins to empty out? I'll tell you why. Because preachers are catering to babes. Hey, why is it, why is it that little girls can get up on the platform and be dressed real nice and sing their little southern gospel songs and on the backside of things they're slipping down to Disney World and taking a hit off a, a wine bottle and, you know, slipping around their own house and wearing booty shorts and joking about boys liking boys. How, how come that kind of stuff is not being addressed from the pulpit? And I, the only thing I can think of is that churches are catering to babes. How do we grow up, Brother Nathan? You have to get to the place to where you're willing to look at things that are not right, even if you're guilty of them, and say, that's not right. Get right as fast as you can about the thing. Repent about it as fast as you can. God, I'm weak in this thing. God, I need some help in this thing. But God, it's not right, and I know it's not right, and I hate myself because of it. Don't you ever justify you. You justify God. Justify God. We get to a place to where we begin to justify ourselves. We're toast as individuals, and the moment that a preacher stands behind this pulpit and begins to justify his church members because he doesn't want them to leave, this church is toast. It's over. Amen. Amen. Anyways, uh, strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use, ha use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. 1 Corinthians 3, let's look here and we'll close. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, look here. And we will close right here. Look here in verse 1. Let's read it one more time. He said, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? And walk as men. The thing that got me thinking about this message is I'm a preacher, so I study, and so I, I got a lot of time to think about things and mull things over on, on my mind. And I looked at this thing and I said, You know, for ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife. Strife is a mark of carnality. But you know, on the other side, that's what a preacher is called to do. He's called to strive, contend, contention, contend earnestly for the faith. And I say that's what a preacher's called to do. That's what you're called to do. That's not just a preacher thing. That's a Christian thing. You're called to contend earnestly for the faith. So you know what somebody will throw in your face? You know what you will throw in your own face, your flesh, what the devil will throw in your face? Well, you're carnal because you're contending with everybody. Well, there's your verse of Scripture. Mark of carnality is... Strive. Oh, well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm guilty of that. So what do you do? Oh, boy, you read a verse like that and you'll sit down and you'll think, well, man, maybe I need to quit contending. Maybe I need to quit, you know, going forward. Maybe I need to quit being so uh, about things that's wrong and things that's right. You know where the strife and the contention was coming from down at the church at Corinth? Let me just go ahead and tell you, everything that I just said is not true. It's not true. You don't quit contending for things that's right and quit contending for things that's wrong. Yes, sir. You know what was, what was causing the contention down at, for, at, down at the church at Corinth? It was not a preacher that was standing up behind the pulpit and saying, hey, this is going on down here at this house, this fornication, that needs to be dealt with. That was not what was causing the contention. What was causing the contention was not somebody that was standing up and saying, hey, you folks are going to law with each other. That ain't right. You guys is wrong about that. Y'all need to work that out right here in the church. That wasn't what was causing the contention. 
What was causing the contention was a bunch of carnal babes, babies, who was having problems looking at things that was wrong and saying, that's wrong. And looking at things that was right and saying, that's right. They was unwilling to do that. And they was taking things and sweeping them under the rug. And they was pushing this stuff over here. And then trying to look somewhere else in their life and say, oh, I'm still spiritual. Well, why would you say that? Well, look at what I'm doing over here. I'm of Paul. Well, I'm of Peter. I'm of Cephas. Well, I'm of Apollos. Well, I don't follow any man except Jesus Christ. That's all right there in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, this matter of fornication, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, there was folks walking around, knew that the stuff was going on, and he said, you guys are letting it stay in there, and I'm paraphrasing, but basically they're letting it stay in there because at least we're not like them. Look, don't let the stuff be dealt with just because, well, see, I got somebody that I can look better than. You say, what is that? That's the wrong kind of strife. That's the wrong kind of contention. Preacher that stands up or a Christian that stands up, you that stands up when something is not right and you say, hey, that ain't right. Somebody going to look at you and say, oh, you just want to fight about everything. And you're going to think, well, man, maybe I'm carnal. No, sir. If that's the case, then Jesus Christ was the most carnal man that there ever was. Paul said in 2 Corinthians, he said, there's a boldness that I have. He said that people think, when they see, they think that I walk in the flesh. That's the book of 2 Corinthians. I don't know the chapter. You'll come to me after church. I'll show you where it's at because I know roughly where it's at. But it's right there in 2 Corinthians. Brother Nathan, you think all this fighting's worth it? Hey, make sure you're right. And I will say this, make sure you're doing it because you're genuinely concerned. We did, I didn't read it tonight, but first, Ephesians chapter 4 where he said that you'd be henceforth no more children tossed to and fro carried about with every wind of doctrine, the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love. That's just as much necessary as being willing to look at somebody and say, hey, you're not right with God. Uh, listen, if contending with somebody about what's right and what's wrong is not what we're supposed to do, then Paul was backslid. Galatians chapter 2, Peter gets down there at Antioch, I believe it was, and he's sitting down eating with Gentiles. And all of a sudden, certain brethren from James come from Jerusalem. They're Jews. And he sees them Jews walk in the door, and he stands up, and he goes over here and gets away from the Gentiles. And Paul sees what go, goes on. And listen, it doesn't just have an effect on Peter. It has an effect on Paul's own traveling companion, Barnabas. He said, even so much that Barnabas was carried away with their dissimulation. And Paul gets up and he walks over there and he looks at Peter and he says, you don't understand. This is not right. Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, 21, 22, 23, so forth and so off, so on. It's that reproof that he gives to Peter. And you know what Peter said at the end of one of his epistles? He said, even as our beloved, our beloved, our beloved brother Paul has spoken unto us things that are hard to be understood. Peter said, I'm not sure I understand everything that Paul's saying. They're hard to be taken. They're hard to be understood. But he's a beloved brother. Yeah. Amen. Yes, sir. You say what's right and you make right judgment and you do it because you care about people, somebody is going to take note of that. I can't guarantee that everybody's going to take it, but somebody will. You folks right, sitting right here, I'm trying to land, I promise, but you folks sitting right here tonight are testimony that somebody stood up behind a pulpit and, they, and he said, hey, what you're doing is not right. He didn't come and put his finger in your face particularly, but he stood up and he said, hey, this is what God's word said, and if you're not doing it, you're wrong, you're backslid. And you said, ooh. And you know what? That same individual that done that, I guarantee you, you got some appreciation for him. I do. 
Yes, sir. whole lot better than somebody trying to hold on to you in a church just because they don't want you to leave and you're a good source of income. Amen. Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us tonight. Lord, a lot longer than God I intended, but, Lord, I trust, Lord, that you had your will and way. God, pray that you'd minister to hearts. God, Lord, not really. Uh, Lord, really uh, felt like it was more of a Bible study, but, God, Lord, I pray. God, just have your will and way, whatever it may be counted to be. God, help us, Lord, to understand, Lord, that there's a time, God, Lord, where we can and should be teachers of the Word of God, should be teachers, Lord, of the oracles of God. And, Lord, help us, God, not to be afraid. God, Lord, help us not to be unwilling, God, to push forward and, God, begin to lose those first principles and get back into a state of spiritual immaturity. Help us, God, to take those basic things that we was uh, that we got when the day that we was born again, God, I pray that you'd help us to take those things and push forward with them, go forward with them. And Lord, I pray, God, Lord, just help us, Lord. Bless this church. Bless these folks. Lord, give them a good week, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. I think there's food over next door, a little canteen. Help yourself. <laughs>